your value and your worth has nothing to do and never will with what you earn, what you drive, where you live, who you know, how you look, how you sound, or what you do. Nothing. Your value is intrinsic because you are a one of a kind, unique masterpiece crafted by Almighty God. And your value is always set. What you do, the money you make, all that other stuff, that has nothing to do with who you are or your value. And we are rolling. Welcome to the TM3 studio. This is TM3 Impact. Today, I am super pumped because I have Steve Collins. Listen, if you're on Facebook and you don't know who Steve Collins is, uh, then obviously you don't have Facebook. They're not looking very well, are they, Steven? They're it not must looking. be 20 year under. That, <laughs> that could be. That could very well be. Uh, but I want to thank our sponsors, Luxury Home Magazine and Spanish Grove Academy. That's why we're here the, uh, today, Steve. So first things first, Steve, yeah. I just want to thank you for being here. And we're going to sure. start with the first question. The first question is simple. Tell me your San Antonio story. How did you come to live in this city and kind of tell us your story, cliff note version, yeah. up to this point where you are today? Okay, well, uh, my father flew helicopters in Vietnam and he did training um, in Mineral Wells, Texas. So I was born in Mineral Wells. When he came back from Vietnam, we moved to San Antonio because my mother's family was here. And he was a weddle from the East Coast that married a Mexicana Latina, you know, from South Texas. And we have been here the entire time since. So I was born in Mineral Wells, moved over here, uh, just celebrated 52 years. So 52 years old and been here my whole life. Um, growing up, it was a little bit weird coming back from Vietnam with all the challenges that that imposes on a 21 year old guy at that time who uh, left, married a month goes to Nam for two tours, comes back and has a son. You know, just a very different thing. So my dad's gig was cars. He was a drag racer, race car driver that ended up having his own body shop, converting Corvettes, and ultimately went through some challenges with a business partner that like took everything and left him hanging, you know, like a hundred grand in debt that my dad made right with everybody. But I think it discouraged that entrepreneurial um baton that got placed down that I ran and picked back up. And so he became a body shop manager for uh, the number one um, Lincoln Mercury dealership in the nation here in San Antonio okay. was body shop manager there for 35 years, continued to race as our relationship evolved. So I go to a little Catholic school here in San Antonio and it, which comes, one? Which it was called, which it was called Henry. They also Catholic school down the road from Ingram mall oh back when goodness. that was being built. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like been bulldozed since then, but it was the, the actual convent with the nuns and uh, there were no priests. I mean, a father would show up every now and then and that was weird, but it was all run by nuns. And it became apparent to me at a very early age that I was a problem. <laughs> I was a problem for a lot of people. What today entrepreneurs would identify as this guy is going to be an on fire entrepreneur, get it done, make it happen guy was something that, you know, 40 plus years ago, they called um, a disruptive force. Yeah. And it's funny, I got called the same thing by the president over at St. Mary's when I was at St. Mary's, but I was a disruptive force. And at that time, the way they dealt with that was, um, you know, Ritalin. So yeah. everything I am today and who I was back then was immediately medically shut down. And I just kind of blended in and had this sense that what something's that? wrong with me. What age was that? Do you remember? Second grade. In the second grade. Started in the second grade. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that carried me over into the fifth grade. And then I transferred to a public school, got off the Ritalin and just, I was the smallest, skinniest you know, kid in the whole school. And, and it was, it was a little bit rough for me at that time. And so I met some friends, you know, kind of the, uh, the peripheral gypsies, if you will, that said, Hey, you ought to try, you ought to try this. You ought to smoke some of this. I'm like, well, I don't really smoke. And they're like, well, you might like this. And I didn't think anything of it. So I did it. Yeah. So, uh, that got me engaged in what began a seven 
year use of drugs day after day after day unlike my buddies mm -hmm. not to necessarily get high but it was almost like the ritalin it was a self-medicating yeah. that allowed me to stay a little more focused a little more relevant um but still that pervasive thing that something's wrong yeah. something's wrong with me what's wrong with me what's different yeah well that led to um all the relationships that that entails and you can imagine with me at least it escalated mm -hmm. because hey i want to be the best at whatever i do and yeah. you know it was a druggie yeah and uh ended up my high school girlfriend getting pregnant my senior year mm. and the drug use now continued on further and further and further to mm. the point where the more people i met we ended up doing worse and worse things and it wound up with me at the end which became the beginning for me frankly mm. Uh, being taken into protective custody by the Texas legal system, okay. being committed to the Texas State Hospital as a dead, dying, suicidal, bipolar, manic, depressive drug addict. With at needle, what age? What age were you at that time? At 20. At 20, 20 years, years old. old. Okay. Yeah. We tried to get married and, you know, have the baby. That clearly didn't work. She ended up getting pregnant from another guy while we were trying to work things out. And I just mm. went into a deep depression. Mm. And it was in that state hospital that I prayed a very quiet, silent prayer, which was, God, if you're really real and you care about me at all, um, if you are willing to do anything to just help me, mm. you have my life, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Mm -hmm. That's it. And uh, nothing happened for months, which mm -hmm. took me into a deeper depression. Um, yet when I came out, there was, uh, there was a significant shift when I met a guy who basically came in and read my story said the lord has sent me here to talk to you and here's what's been going on and here's what he has for you you're going to be entrepreneurial you're going to have businesses you're going to impact lives you're going to fund the kingdom of god you're just how spoke old are you life i was 20. so this, this was, was probably how long, 20. How long? i went time. i got committed to the state hospital at right when i'm sure i turned 20. okay and then the day i gave my life to jesus was october 1st okay uh, 31 years ago. So yeah. that's what, 98? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, no, 98. That no. was 88. 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 88. So it was all in that year of the year 20. Okay. And, and everything changed at that point. I mean, um, hmm. because. Who was uh, this guy, by the way? Who was the guy? Guy's name's John Carrillo. And how in the world did your pass cross? That's an even more fascinating story. Yeah. So I had gotten out of the state hospital, was attempting to. Uh, you know, make the right decisions, but still had that addiction. So what I was, I was an angry addict. I, mm. I was sober, but I was angry and yeah. I had shame and I still had guilt and I still had the pain of hurting people that I love very much because mm. I couldn't stop. So by the way, there's a huge difference between being um, sober and being joyful. Mm. Huge difference. There's a lot of yeah. sober people that don't have that joy. Yeah. So I was disciplining myself to just try to make the right decisions um, and so this is actually in the intro of my book, I talk about it, that I'm, I'm minding my own business in the back of this rental car place. And in comes this guy that looks like a freaking Greek God. You know, he's probably six, four, huge shoulders, long wavy hair back in the day mm -hmm. when that was real popular, bright green eyes, Italian guy and comes in and, um, looks around and there was a guy leaving that day. So it was John's first day of work. Okay. Okay. And it was Scott's last day of work and okay. John was going to be replacing Scott. So uh, John comes in and he says, uh, well, if one of you guys is leaving and he goes, yeah. And John goes, okay, I need to tell you something. So he goes on to just tell him about Jesus, Oh, wow. right? He goes on to tell him how there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. And we were separated by uh, sin from God and that he died that you might be forgiven and that you might be restored to him and this and that. And, and, um, and John's laying into Scott, mm. right? Laying into him, giving him the gospel and ends with, do you want to receive Christ, man? Yeah. And the guy looks at him and goes, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> like, whatever. And, yeah. and John is like shocked. John's like, okay, what just happened, right? Like what mm. just happened? And then he turns around and, and, and there I am standing in the car shaking with, I'm shaking. I have tears running down my face, mm. man. Like, I do. Mm. And he's like, who are you? And I'm yeah. like, it doesn't matter, man. Come. Yeah. And he came and we prayed 
And um, that was on a Friday. I still remember because the manager came in while he was holding my hands. I was holding we were She goes, what are you guys doing back here? I said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Back off. She goes, you're going to be fired if you don't get to work. I said, fire me. Yeah. I Like literally. It was yeah. awesome. And she goes, and she just turned around and walked out. And I was yeah. like, smart move. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. And uh, prayed that prayer. That was You had never Friday. met this guy before. No, I, no, never. No. Okay. So, but that's not even the best part. Okay. Yeah. So he just comes in and, and that's it. Well, um, <clears throat> they let him go that afternoon, John. And, and he because became of what my happened? buddy. He, uh, possibly. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember the details of yeah. why, yeah. but I'll tell you what makes it exciting. Yeah. So that weekend he tells me, Hey dude, you need to get baptized, man. I was like, yeah. I was baptized as a baby. He goes, yeah. no, you know, let me show you in scripture where Jesus did this as an adult. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me look at, I said, well, you know what? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So during the baptism that Sunday night, I went under the water and the addiction broke mm. underwater. Boom. This is the guy that came up. Mm. This and, and I've been a different man ever since. I, it was a one-step program, man. It's why I rarely give back to that, um, that community, you know, uh, be, because I don't want anybody to feel bad about the fact that uh, why did I not have to go to meetings or twelve steps mm. or anything? Why did God choose to just deliver me in that instant mm. from that addiction? I have no explanation for that. Um, but I tell you, I every day live out my promise to yeah. him, you know, because I just thought being around church people would make me behave. I had yeah. no idea it was going to transform my life and my heart and heal me, man. Yeah. So here's the funny part. We go back to John Carrillo. So, you know, you got your, what I hope is your Bible here. Oh, it looks yeah. like your Bible here. There are different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives different folks. Yeah. And one of them they talk about is being prophetic or having word of yeah. knowledge of insight. Well, that's the role that John operated in. That was his function. So he's, uh, his wife is a hairstylist and she was cutting people's hair out of the apartment they lived in at that time. And a prophetic lady was coming over to get her hair cut. Mm. And she goes, Hey, before you leave, this is my husband, John, he's out of work right now. Would you pray for him? Mm. Right. And she says she would. So she speaks to John and she says, the Lord's going to give you a job in this next week but you're just going to work there one day because you're going in to win a man to Christ who will win hundreds and thousands to Christ. You're mm. going in for one guy and that's it. And then you're going to be gone. And John's like, okay, adventure on. He's yeah. a young guy too. So I think the funny part of that was that uh, when John and I talked that how he assumed it was Scott because right. he was leaving. And, and that's me, why he was so bold because he, because of what she told him. He, he was, he was, he's been bold for a very long time and still is to this day. Yeah. He's, so he's a very he, bold this, guy. You're still, y'all are still involved with still in side. relationship. Yeah. Wow. Still in relationship with him to this day. Um, uh, just absolutely blown away. So that was the transformation that brought me to a place where what others around me had seen as a, a challenge or a hindrance to my what my daughters would call me my extraness. Right. Right. <laughs> That's when I just decided I was going to lean into being extra and I wasn't yeah. going to worry about yeah. what anybody else said, that I was going to dig into personal growth and personal development. And what does this mean for me to really follow this, yeah. this word? I, you know, because my, up to that point, my experience with, uh, people of faith were, okay, you got the khakis, you got the polo, you got the bow tie, and you're acting real nice, but I'm not attracted to anything like that at all. To me, you're a wuss. Mm. I don't see any boldness. I don't see any faith. I don't see any venture. I don't see anything hardcore. I just see, I just see a and you, cookie and, cutter. And you wanted to run from that. I, I was just like, yeah. that. well, it just wasn't attractive to me. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I have warrior energy, a vibe, intensity, uh, you know, a holy violence and passion, I, you know, and I don't see any expression of that in there. But then I would crack this book and I'd be like, hold up, look at David here. Hold up. Look at Joseph. Hold up. Look at Abraham. Hold mm -hmm. up. Like these guys are kind of messed up like me, but getting stuff done for the Lord. Right. So yeah. I had a different mindset and take to that. The difference between a church guy and a kingdom guy is yeah. the way that I describe it, you know, and I think that they are vastly different. One is yeah. trying to be a good boy by following rules and one is a hot mess yeah. who's dependent on God daily yeah. for that directive to do what's important to the Lord, to touch lives, to change yeah. lives, to make things turn around, to have the courage and the boldness to be willing to be viewed 
however others may view them and be okay with that. Yeah. Because my greatest deeds are done before an audience of one, not yeah. everybody else. Right. I want right. to be at peace with all people and I want yeah. to be an encouragement to all people. But if Billy Bob has an issue with Steve yeah. Collins, Steve Collins is okay with that. Yeah. I don't have to have an issue with you because you have an issue with me. So being able to model a lifestyle of faith that is based in loving people, yeah. accepting people where they're at, not trying to change them, not pushing anything on them, not making them do anything. Yeah. Definitely never coming from a top down holier than thou attitude at all i'm like i mean you we're both we both sin yep. we both struggle i just know where to run to your religion says i screwed up man my dad's gonna kill me my faith says man i screwed up i need to talk to my dad yeah it's a different energy altogether so, so but go back because I'm, I'm curious because obviously you you went to catholic school all the mm -hmm. way to what grade fifth grade so you went all the way to fifth grade so did it what what came from being raised, uh, uh, obviously you were probably raised Catholic, it was Catholic. So being, right? Yeah. So then you get up to this point. So did any of that transition, like mm -hmm. just kind of give you? Because yeah, I, I feel like for me, so my my kind of mm -hmm. my parents didn't go to church, right? We would yeah. we would go on Easter and we go on certain you know uh, sure. uh, big days. But then there was this there was this pivotal moment that I spent the night at a friend's house, mm -hmm. and this was kind of the moment where I think God was like, "Okay, here, uh, I'm going to talk to Tomas. Let's see if he's ready." Yeah. And I remember I was sleeping in, in, in the on his floor, and his mom knocks on the door and says, "Okay, everybody, get dressed. We're going to church." And mm -hmm. I, I I looked at my buddy and I go, uh, "You didn't tell me about church. I didn't know we were yeah. going sixth grade." Ryan Shelton, Ryan Shelton, yeah. if you're watching, you remember <laughs> this day. But we went to church. And that became a community for me. Yeah. And we became the back row um, mm -hmm. gobblers. I think we were called the yeah. back row gobblers. We were in a mm -hmm. house church. And I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like a yeah. little bitty house church with little pews. Right. And we would be in the back singing as loud as humanly possible. <laughs> all right. All yeah. the hymns. But I'm wondering, what was there any pieces of what you were kind of learning at that time yeah. that you were able to draw on to help you while you were at the, you know, the, going through your experience of addiction, uh, going through your experience at the hospital? Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you were able to go back mm -hmm. and draw onto? Well, I think one and the most profound thing that I was able to draw from was that this conclusion prior to my conversion and that was there is a god for sure 100 percent, no question there's a god number two i am the complete opposite of everything he ever intended for a human being to be by my behavior and bad choices and decisions and addiction mm. and so he must be absolutely 100% disappointed and ashamed in me. Why he has allowed me to continue to live when I'm such a disappointment to everybody, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But me and him are like that, but I know he's there. Yeah. So I had a very um, unbiblical mm. perception of that God. And some of that came from that Catholic upbringing because yeah. it was like, psh, 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 yeah. psh, you know, you better do this or, or the Lord will get you or whatever. And right. so I had this, uh, perception in that particular, and I'm not saying the Catholic faith as a whole, I'm talking about my experience. Your experience, yep. Yeah, I, I would, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I mean, it is what it is. I'm just bold to say it. I think most of the nuns that were there were not because they were full of love and life in Jesus. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like these chicks could never get a guy. They're so freaking mean and ugly <laughs> that they probably had nothing better to do than oh be a nun. Like, I really thought that at a young age, at really? 52, I'm, I'm not as embarrassed to say it, but that was my judgment. I was yeah. like, these are the most non-loving, angry, frustrated. There was one, Sister Olvera, and she mm. was a little viejita in the convent in the wheelchair. That was my rock. She was the mm. closest thing to God ever mm. because she had that love coming out of her, right? All, mm. all the other little, bless their hearts, not so much, yeah. right? So I had a twisted perception yeah. of who he was and what he was like that affected how I showed up down here. So what I brought from that time, I yeah. brought a belief that there was a god yeah so in the state hospital which is a, that's a good that's a good point it's a strong that's a foundation. good strong point to start with well right? and, and then i had also had evidence in the back of my mind of my mother praying mm. for me my grandmother's praying for me my my family members praying for me and i'm just like that's probably the only reason I'm alive is I have people who are actually praying for me. Mm. But I knew there were people who were committed to something 
that I, I knew there was something bigger than just church mm -hmm. because when I saw that my grandmother, you know, dude, when I was in the worst of my addiction, locked up in my mobile home for three or four days, my Lethal would come with a big old thing of holy water and just cry over me and put mm -hmm. holy water all over and pray over me. And I just, you know, there were acts of faith that were outside of charity or giving yeah. that were directed towards me that were reminders. Now get this, I don't talk about this often. I'm not embarrassed about it. It's mm -hmm. just, I forget about it sometimes. I probably in my addiction did acid maybe 20 times. Mm -hmm. Okay. My grandmother, my father's mom, very godly woman, Anna Mae Collins, um, lived in Virginia mm -hmm. her whole life. Every single time I tripped, mm -hmm. every single time, I'd wake up the next day like, what did I do, man? And my mom would come in and say, Mamma was on the phone for you. Mm. And I'm like, really? I'm like, hey, Mamma, Stevie, are you okay, honey? The Lord woke me up last night to pray for you. I've been mm. praying for you for the last three hours. Are you okay, son? I, what am I going to do? Grandma, that's crazy. I was tripping. Like, mm. no. I was just like, I'm fine, Mamma. I'm fine. You know, I mean, it, dude, I probably should have died mm. multiple times. But I mean, the second time, like the first time, I'm like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. The second time I was like, hold on, I need to shake this. That's weird. The third time. And then it got to the point where I literally would someone be like, hey, you want to trip tonight? And I'd be like, man, my mama is going to call me tomorrow. If I take this, it just, it was that thing. So all of those little testimonies of something bigger than this idea of a church thing were evidences that I brought into my conversion that, that made sense looking back mm, i love it so now yeah. how does real estate come into play mm -hmm. like where at what point in your arc because you're at the yeah. you're at the car rental so where does that come yeah. into play so i dig into college i start leaning into personal growth and personal development i'm wanting to study psychology and philosophy and theology and i'm i'm just a learning freak mm. like i dig into learning as much as i can mainly because I was learning about me, mm -hmm. right? And I just kept getting ahas after ahas. Well, believe it or not, John Crulo comes back around again because I went through a season after marrying Angela where I couldn't find work. I mean, it was a really weird mm -hmm. season in life. Um, How old were I you I was at a that college time? student, uh, married Angela at 25. She was 20. So it's probably when I was maybe 26. Okay. I went through a thing where I just... I couldn't find work for like six months. Mm. Like I could walk into McDonald's and say, can I please scrub your toilets with my own personal toothbrush? And they'd be like, yeah, we don't have a need for that. Mm. Like I'm for free. Would you, can I, like nobody, mm. nobody would hire me at all. Mm. And you gotta remember, I was a saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I was, I was a good little boy, man. Yeah. You know, I was doing my Christian thing. Um, and yet it was through that season that, um, I feel like God put a work in me that changed the way I would see everybody and myself moving forward. And, and the foundation of that hidden season was this, Steve Collins, your value and your worth has nothing to do and never will with what you earn, what you drive, where you live, who you know, how you look, how you sound or what you do nothing your value is intrinsic because you are a one of a kind unique masterpiece crafted by almighty god and your value is always set what you do the money you make all that other mm. stuff that has nothing to do with who you are or your value mm. those are just things right it's one thing to have that conversation it's another thing to have that built into you for six months and because the transition was John said, hey, you know what? I think you're going to be good in sales. I got a buddy of mine, Richard Ramos, who is the manager over at Gun Infinity Land Rover in town here. I think you'd do really good over mm. there. Went in and interviewed with Richard. He hired me, and, and I went from being the absolute worst sales guy there <laughs> to within a, a less than a two-year period of time, Gun put on a citywide competition with all the sales guys, and I came in second place of probably three or four hundred guys. Wow! Right. So, uh, and, and what and year was this? Let's see. I married Angela. Okay, I got into real estate when I was just turning thirty. So, if we go back um, fifty-two, twenty-two years. Twenty-two. Okay. Yeah, twenty-two years. Was it ninety-eight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, ninety-eight. Yep. 
Which, so, gu- which gun were you at? Which one? Infinity, Infinity. Infinity Land Rover okay. over by the old Bjorns over on 14. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I was that guy. And here's what had happened. I was always reading. I was still a voracious reader. And I was reading a book by a guy named John Mason. And okay. the book is called An Enemy Called Average. Okay. Okay. And there's Sounds 52 like chapters. It's powerful. <laughs> 52 chapters. Each chapter is short enough. And the idea is you read this chapter. It's got a scripture that goes with it. And then you think about that all week long. Yep. Right. That one carries you for a year. Well, I had just come off of my best month ever in in the in the business. I had sold maybe 30 plus cars, which for luxury cars is unheard of. In right? one month? 30 in cars month, in one month? Okay. In a month. Uh, made more money than I'd ever made, but here's what the reality was. I was probably working 75 hours a week. Mm. I was coming in at 10, going home at 10, and I was exhausted, and I never had time for anything or Angela, and I thought, this is the kind of money I would like to be able to earn, but what am I giving up for it? I'm mm-hmm. giving up everything, like mm-hmm. I've got no life. So one of the chapters in that book by John Mason, uh, it said, it just asked this very profound question. And it said, if you could make one major life decision today and God guaranteed you, not only would you not fail, but you would succeed wildly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What one decision would you make? Mm -hmm. And I sat back and I thought, well, I'm in sales. Mm -hmm. Um, What industry pays the best for sales? Yeah. Um, You know, I've sold... I've sold a lot of cars to realtors that were very unimpressive people. Right. It's like they're just like train wrecks, like right. and 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 not even really nice, kind of yeah. like some mean ones and unkempt. And I'm like, bro, don't you take a shower or something? Mm. I, like the ones that came to me, I was like, mm. this guy's buying a seventy thousand dollar car and he don't even yeah. look like he put a sentence together. Like I was yeah. really confused by that. Yeah. So I wrote down. I would get into real estate. And I wrote that that down on that book, on that part right there. And I tucked it away and I continued reading. A week comes by and it's raining outside. And, uh, you know, guy pulls up in a car and everybody's like, ah. And I'm like, anybody shows up on the lot in the rain. So I go out and I get him and said, hey, how are you doing, man? Let me get you an umbrella to come on in. He goes, look, man, I'm not buying anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I got a flight in two hours. It was delayed. I'm not buying anything. I said, well, dude, I ain't selling anything. So we're going to be good. We're going to get along. <laughs> we just need to hang out. He laughed. I said, let me make you a cup of Starbucks. Come in, sit down. Uh, so what's on your mind? And then, and then I, he asked him questions, you know. Yeah. And then I said, let me show you what Infinity just came out with. It's called the I-30. So I go yeah. on the showroom floor. I pull the car up, open the doors. And I do my whole thing. And I'm like, yeah. bro, you got to let me take you around the block. And he's like, okay, let's do it. So long story short, he's sitting in the F and I office and he's going, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this man. And I, and I, and he goes as, as he's leaving, yeah. um, he says, you would be great in my industry. Yeah. And I said, well, what industry are you in? And he said, real estate. Mm. And I went, Oh, now you had had already (laughs) written in your book a week before okay a week to the day yeah i said you need to stop hold up hammer time wait right here i go get the book because i had dated it and i still have that book to this day yeah i opened it up and i said look at this i just wrote this last week what did he say my name is Steve Hamilton I'm the sales manager for Centex Homes wow we need to have a conversation Yes. And so we continued to have conversations throughout, but the beginning was very fascinating, Tomas, because let me tell you what had happened. I was clueless. I didn't know about weekends, right? Yeah. So I go through probably six different interviews. I'm the first guy that they would consider hiring outside of the, outside of the, um, the real estate world, bringing somebody in. Mm-hmm. Because in '98 it was kicking. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, and so they don't—they don't need anybody. They have to train. But I went through all of that, and when he presented the package to me, I said, "Hold on a second, there must be a mistake. What is this Saturday and Sundays?" And he goes, "Oh, those are work days." I'm like, yeah. "I can't, I can't." I said, "Nobody told me it was Saturdays." He goes, they're, "They're model homes. That's when people are off." I'm like, "That's Saturday and Sunday, man." Like I got a abuelita, man. You know, I got, we have barbecues, we have family. And 
man, I don't know if I can do it. He goes, well, man, you're going to have to decide because our training is starting next Monday, mm. you know? And I was like, and, and you had to go in. So the church that I was going to then is the church I'm going to now, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. We're one of those long churches. Like yeah. it's not like in and out three songs of prayer and you're gone. You're right. This is like, you know, we would go from probably, um, at that time we went from 10 to probably one, 10 okay. to one o'clock. Yep. That was my community. Like you said, that was yeah. my people, man. That was, I'm tight. These are my prayer warriors and intercessors back then are the same ones today, man, that have been covering me ever since. And Angela and I, I'm, I'm struck with grief because I've been through so much to get to that place. I wrote it down. I sensed it was the, the Lord. And I just said, man, I don't, yeah, I'm like, look at this, Angela. And she goes, what are you going to do? I said, if I'm going in and I have to be there like at 930, I don't get any church. Mm-hmm. And so I was really depressed. So I go back to Steve Hamilton and the guy's name was Keith Fahey at the time was sales yeah. manager. And I said, I can't, I can't, I can't accept the position. I didn't know real estate that you had to work on Sunday. Yeah. And they're like, you didn't. And I'm like, man, we went through. So I said, I know. I don't, I don't know. Well, when's your church? Can you go to another church? I'm like, yeah. no, I can't go to another. I mean, I yeah. can't go to another church. I ain't going to go right. to another church. These are my people, man. Yeah. It's what I do in there. That makes me who I am out here, yeah. you know, and I just like, I, I, I just can't do that. And so all of us were very bummed, you yeah. know, and I, and I washed my hands of it and started selling cars again. And I was so bummed, bro. I was mm. just like, this Which, sucks. Cause you didn't even have the idea that you could be a realtor like that. What that, that concept had mm-hmm. even come in. Went there because that was my <laughs> first connection. Right. And then we, we jumped into the interviews after that point. Okay. And so it was. It was uh, very, very devastating for me to have that presented to me and have everybody enthusiastic and the president of the company, Damon Lyle at the time, and everybody was just like, this guy's going to crush yeah. it. And then it was like, choose. Yeah. Career and your money or this. Yeah. That's how it was to me. Yeah. And I was like, I can't see a way to reconcile both. Yeah. So I had to walk from the opportunity. I was very down. Um, Two months after that, Steve calls me up and said, hey, you don't have to be there at 9.30. We change the hours. Mm -hmm. You come in at 11.30. He goes, I'll give you two and a half hours at church. And I was like, I go, do you have an opening? He goes like, it's, you got to start Monday. And it was like maybe on a, it was maybe a week. No, no, no. Hold on a second. It was two weeks out. Yeah. Yeah. He says, we start in two weeks. I'm like, bro, 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 bro. Yeah. I call my pastor. I'm like, what? He's like, God made a way. And I was just like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is great. And I had been at infinity, I think maybe four years. And there was like maybe, a, I think a $4,700 three week paid vacation bonus that would hit on Monday. Right. Oh, so, nice. and I'm like, um, oh man, I'm going to get to go out of here with the cash in hand and everything. So I go to our sales manager at that time, which was not Richard Ramos, a new guy had taken over. And I told him the story and, and how excited I was. So I needed to give him my two weeks notice. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, get the F off of my showroom floor. Mm. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like now, now the guys since reconciled. Yeah. By the way, it was an interesting reconciliation because um, he became a lender um, four or five years later and called on me. As oh, a client. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, yeah. you remember me, Steve Collins? And he's like, hey, man, I want to take you to lunch. I see you're doing great in real yeah. estate. I said, we come a long way since get the F off my show on floor, haven't we, brother? <laughs> yes, of course I said that. And, and he was like, man, right. you have no idea. And I was like, okay, this is where I need to be godly. So yeah. I went to lunch with him and let him explain. He apologized and all that stuff that he was under pressure. He was going to get fired. I was number one sales guy and all that stuff. Yeah. So we made that right. But that was the transition is that I, said, I told Angela, if we do this, we lose the 4,700 bucks yeah. because I have to be there on this day. And yeah. I remember this is how she thought. She goes, what if that 47 is a seed that's going to be 10, 30, 60, 90, 100 fold return if we do this though? Yeah. And I said, you know what? Then let's just do it. We'll just, we won't look at it as a loss. Mm. We will look at it as a seed that we're You're planting, planting. Yep. by faith. Yep. <clears throat> and we made that transition. Yeah. And that's where it began. And how long were you there? home sales for two and a half years. Yeah. What'd you make the first year? Do you remember? I know that I won second place for salesman of the year at the, um, whatever the Eagle awards thing is. I forget what it's called. Summit. The Summit Summit Awards. Awards. Oh yeah. Okay. Second place for over a hundred sales the first year. Okay. Um, You had a hundred sales. 
um, it was for uh, up to 100 sales yeah. the first year. Oh, gotcha. I think it was 60 or 70 sales. Wow. I mean, I six-figured the first year. Yeah. Right? Okay, you second year? Me? Second Crushed year it. did better. Yeah. Towards the middle of the second year, they brought over a guy who used to run K&B Homes as the sales manager. Okay. And they got rid of the other guys and he came in and he was the straight up Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, put that coffee yeah, down. And yeah. in that moment, I go, I do not respect this man. Yeah. I cannot work for this man. He lowered our product in Oak Crest neighborhood okay. and raised the prices. Like it was uh, it was ridiculous how, yeah. how we did this and nobody was coming in the doors anymore. And that's when I realized I had met some realtors during that time that I was there, Craig Owen in particular. Okay, yep who had the servant's heart that he has today back then. Mm -hmm. And we became friends during that time. And, um, and I remember thinking, okay, it wouldn't be too hard of a stretch, but over here I'm dependent on other men's efforts and wisdom to price right and have a competitive product. And I'm stuck in this neighborhood. But if I got my realtor's license, I could work how I want to work mm -hmm. and do what I want to do. And, and then it would be on me yep and the good lord right yep so i i went into it imagining if i had won a hundred million dollar lottery i had traveled the world with angela i had bought all my friends and family houses and cars and i'm sitting on the beach in maui for the 40th day in the row having a pina colada going i'm bored i think i'll move back to san antonio and sell real estate but here's how I'm going to do it since I don't need money and I have everything I want. I'm only going to work Monday through Friday. I'm not yeah. going to work nights. I'm not going to work with jackwads. I'm only going to yeah. work with cool people. And that's how I'm going to work it like that. So I, I built that vision early on. And yeah. so my primary non-negotiable was no Sundays. And, mm. and, and by God's grace, I haven't worked a Sunday in the 23. Right. Because it was awesome. a decision. I just said, I, I'm willing to lose money or a sale to yeah. be able to say to my wife and seven kids, you got my full attention on this day. Yeah. I go to church. I hang out with you guys. I have a meal. I take a nap. And then I hit the field again. Yeah. So I hadn't compromised that sense. And it was just a decision yeah. you know, that I made. Who was, who was the realtor? Was it Craig? Was Craig the one that pulled you in? Cause at mm -hmm. that point I'm thinking, uh, I mean, I, I don't know the, uh, the math on it, but Keller Williams was mm -hmm. not in play at that point. No, Kel he was, he, he was, was already with, started. Yeah, Keller he Williams? had just left Remax to go to Keller. He had just but, started. But, it. Okay. but he was, he was not the broker. Right. It was a guy named Tony that was the broker right. and Craig ran the Owen group. So he had, he was the first guy to model what a successful team could actually yeah. look like versus being, what do you mean you have a team? Yeah. What are you talking about? You're a realtor, right? But no, there was a guy that ran a Remax North San Antonio named Ron mm. that knew I was getting a little antsy, had heard about it. And uh, he jumped on top of me. He said, yeah. you be the guy, you come over to Remax. Yeah. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to help you do everything you yeah. need to do. You just come with me. I'm like, yeah. So he's the only guy that pulled me in. Okay. And you ready for my training? Yeah. Tomas, Steve-O, this is a TV. This is a tape. Here you yeah. go. Watch his I'll tape. I'll be back in five days. <laughs> yeah, dude. I got locked in a room with a tape for Which, five days. Do you remember the what was the training? Howard was Brinton, Star Howard. University. Yeah, Howard Brinton, some kind of star university, bro. Oh, I mean, that's awesome. Seriously, and I was like, for real, this is really this just really happened. Yeah. Now you I know? think I think there's one thing that we got to go back to because I think okay. it's really important. Yeah. Um, I know you pretty well, right? We've gotten yeah. to know each other. Yeah, I, I and and I'm I'm thinking through this. You know, you're you're you and you and your wife. You marry. You're 25 years old. That was mm -hmm. about, that was about how old when I got married. Mm -hmm. And my for, with Christina, we've been married 20 years in December. We just yes. celebrated 20 years. And you're at how many years? 20, 26. 26. That's right. All right. Mm -hmm. Now that relationship, because mm -hmm. I, I I have one of my one of my pivotal mm -hmm. like I guess it's like one of my statements is like there's no amount of money, there's no mm -hmm. amount of fame that would mm -hmm. ever come between my wife and I, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that's just like, yeah. that's the relationship. That's the piece that keeps, right. that, that that helps keep me grounded along with God. That's like, you know, yeah. your wife. Talk a little bit about the power, just mm -hmm. real quick, of your marriage and how that's helped you to be who you are today. It, cue Janina laughing right now uh, <laughs> because of our uh, meeting that we had this morning with yeah. Janina and Angela and I. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so let me see. Um, do you remember scenes out of the movie 300? 
Of course. This <laughs> that's, is Sparta. That's, that's me and Angela. Yeah, of uh, course. We have a, both of us operate in a very aggressive warrior type mode that we have had to really lean into um, to work through the differences in our communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I came to the marriage with baggage and she came to the marriage with baggage. And yet her coming in to my life and us getting married, that's all I really wanted. When I first gave my life to the Lord and it, it, everything got really simple to me at that mm-hmm. point, when I knew that none of my value is in it, you know, I mean, everything that everyone was like, you healed me, whatever you want me to do. Like yeah. every day I show up with my marching orders to say, what yeah. are we doing today, sir? And yeah. that's what we're going to do. Right. And so Angela's role is the key role because what I asked God for very specifically is I said, I want you to bring me a woman who will love you more than she could ever love me. And mm. that's all I ask. Mm. That's all I want is that she's got to love you way more than she could ever love me. Because I think selfishly, I knew that a woman who is passionate for God and passionate for Christ was going to have the same compass that I had. Mm-hmm. And that regardless of how uh, wacky we got, there would always be a foundation of agreement that we could settle on, mm-hmm. which was the word of God and which was our faith. And I knew a woman who loves him way more than she could love me, that there would never be a weird order. She would never be weird with me in like a you know, a needy or weird kind of a way, mm-hmm. but that she'd be like, I get my fulfillment from Christ and you're the sprinkles on my donut, but right. you're not the right. donut, right? So I knew we would keep that in order. And um, and so the role she has played since then has been absolutely critical because she has been the ride or die at every juncture of faith decisions yeah. and said, I believe in you. Yep. I believe God's got us and I believe we can do it. Worst case scenario, we lose the house, we lose the car, we lose the money, we move under a bridge. Church people will bring us blankets and chicken yeah. and then we'll build it we'll, back up we'll again. Figure it out. Let's just go. Yeah. Yep. So yep. she's always been my ride or die. That the challenge has been in that ride or die, I like being in the driver's seat. Oh, and of course. for the last 20 years, <laughs> she's trying, she's like, get out, let me have that wheel. Yes. I want to drive this. I'm like, easy, Tiger, give me a little, you know, come on. Yeah. So when, when she began coaching and entering into the coaching practice with me as we evolved in our real estate career, yeah. she's now on the verge of blowing up and changing yeah. lives and doing all kinds of magnificent stuff after investing all those years in our children and raising our children, which she's still oh, yeah. doing. But she's, she's pivotal. I, it is, it is uh, an understatement of the century to say I would not be at this table having this conversation without her yep. relationship or input. There's yep. no question. You know, yeah, I, I and that and that's the reason why I asked that is because you know it, it, every everybody that is fighting this fight and is is out there doing the things that we do, whether we're coaching other people, we're helping mm-hmm. other people, we're speaking to other people, it, it having that wife that's behind you mm-hmm. that believes. I, this is what I feel about my wife that I, I think is she believes in me more than sometimes I believe in myself. Yes. Like she has that, like that push of like, no, 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 no. I know you can do it. And that has really helped me really grow into where I am today. Right. The magazine was really her idea. She really wanted to push to do the magazine. Mm -hmm. And over time I started to see like, wait a minute, the magazine is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And it, and, and it was the perfect timing. Things mm-hmm. happen to where there, there could have been a situation where she would have run the magazine, but because of a couple of doors closed, I mm. had to step in and she knew that I could do it. Yeah. She knew yeah. that I could step into that. And mm. so our wise, like I, I look, I, it's, it's pivotal. Like you yeah. have to have an amazing, so, you know, for the people listening to the podcast, for those of you, listen, who you marry matters. I mean, I'm a big believer 100%. who you marry matters. Who you stay married to matters too. Who you stay married to matters. <laughs> because the getting, sure. I always joke with the youngsters, the getting, the getting is the fun part. The yeah. staying, that's staying. the word. We actually have, so I have five different coaches in my life and one of them, uh, it's a couple. They, uh, the president of uh, coaching at Ziegler, I meet with him by Zoom once a week because they're in Dallas. Mm. I, I meet with him for an hour once a week. 
Angela meets with her, his wife, once a week. The four of us meet once a week. So we're investing, uh, you know, total of three full hours of marriage coaching mm. each week that is, it, it's critical and crucial to us. Um, in fact, Janina's in, in on it, you know, as our chief operating officer of the organization, she's being coached by them too, because mm. we know the intricacies of us working together as, you know, my brother's wife and my sister-in-law and being part of the family business and the dynamics of just working with a fired up husband and wife team, yeah. there's challenges there. So we we have that input and we invest regularly because Angela and I tend to be very aggressive in our communication with one another, which can trigger being defensive and creating oh, yeah. division. And then, you know, you flex and, um, you know, I, I joke and I, I'm, I'm going to continue to joke for the record. I am a comedian coach. Okay. So I, <laughs> Pretty I much. use the comedian part to say, I know everybody in the planet has their panties in a bunch during this season. Yeah. Get over it. You're going to be fine. I yeah. love everybody. So don't get offended. There's two types of Latina women. There's a sweet, kind, subservient, gentle, like my abuelita. Yeah. And then there's Angela, the fiery ones. Yeah. The fiery <laughs> ones, man. Let me tell you, you do not want to My wife's mess. Italian. Yeah, I was you Italian, know? so okay. I know. Okay, okay. And she there. will tell you so. 43% Sicilian. <laughs> it's, it's She's Sicilian. There's a difference. Yeah, so when she tells you, yeah. forget about it, you know it's a problem, right? It's so a major problem. I have had had to um, learn to swallow pride. I have had to learn to humble myself. I have had to learn to communicate, not in the way I would naturally communicate aggressively. She's shaved off a lot of the rough edges mm. over those years. Um, but we, to this day, are both committed to God individually, yeah. committed to God as a couple, committed to personal growth and development and to serving others. And we still get on that battlefield every day yeah. and the marriage is fragile like every marriage. Yep. I always joke with people, I have a gift for being able to tell when a man's marriage is in trouble. Mm. It's a gift and I can see it within about five seconds. And you know how I can tell if a guy's marriage is in trouble? Yeah, yeah. If he's married. <laughs> that's the gift, right? I if like he's that. got a ring, yeah, right. I go, that guy's got some trouble. That's and right. the guy that doesn't is either heavily medicated or doesn't give a damn or having an affair. And he's right. just off in some whatever weird land. But a guy right. who's having a good marriage, it's because he's working it like yeah. a rose garden where you're getting your fingers pricked and bleeding and there's stuff biting you and mosquitoes. You're, you're working on it. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't naturally get great yeah it it'll effort. naturally decline and you can find yourself especially with as many kids with us having seven kids you can find yourself easily becoming very amicable roommates who have the same agenda which is get johnny to here and get sally to ballet and get bobby to football and and then they move out and you just go man i don't even know you i don't even know if i like you anymore so investing in that relationship is a key component yeah. tomas in fact i will tell you this i consider myself a complete failure in everything if Angela and I are not good. It doesn't matter yeah. how many homes I sold, how much money yeah. I made, how many people I coach. If she and I are not good, I feel like a fraud. Yep. Because I have got to prove to myself that I can be who I need to be with the one who knows me the most in order for me to have authenticity when I go out to serve people. So she's yeah. the only litmus test I have to this day. Yeah. She's the dipstick in my engine yeah. where I check and I go, oh, damn. I yeah. am not doing good. I need oil. So if the world says I'm doing great and she says I'm not. Yeah. I'm That's not. the measure. That's the measure. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love John Maxwell. Uh, he, I remember being at his coaching uh, certification and somebody asked him his definition of success. And he mm -hmm. said that the people, who, uh, the people closest to me love and respect me the most. Mm. Yes, I remember and, him saying that. And I, I just powerful. I, I sat, I sat in the back, and I just thought, okay, you know, this the relationship I have with my son, mm -hmm. the relationship that I have with my wife, it, it means more than any of this mm -hmm. stuff out outside of what that relationship, yeah. right? In my relationship with God, like this is this is what matters. If I become uber successful in whatever, mm -hmm. but 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 I don't have a relationship with my wife and my son, what, yeah. what good is it? You know, yeah. I just, that's powerful. All right, yep. we, we're running out of time. I got a couple of questions. I, I'm curious, who would you say, it sounds like John is one of the most influential mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. that, that have, have you've come in contact. He definitely put me on a path that at that time was 
you know, it was the significant path. That was, was the one that death, catalyst. Death or prison or a life in Christ. Is yeah. Brand new. And then, so who were two other people quickly that, mm-hmm. that, that influenced your life and how? Well, people I'm in relationship with or people that I brought in through reading or influence. How would you say that? Yeah, either one. It could be something you've read. Well, you know, it's funny and it goes without saying truly. Really, Angela has had the greatest influence. I think she's had the greatest influence. Um, I I carry around with me uh, every day. I've got this. I've got this coin here. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's called a Genshai coin. So okay. Genshai is a Sanskrit, it's a, it's a, it's a word that means this. I will never treat another person in a manner that would make them feel small, including myself. Mm. And we were challenged at a seminar, um, to, to think about who has had the greatest influence on us, mm. uh, in our lives and, and the greatest impact. And uh, you have to understand fiery Latina. Right. She's mm-hmm. said, I'm sorry, I think four times. No, mm-hmm. five times in 25 years. Okay. Because we were joking about it. Yeah. We were yeah. like, her apologies are horrible. Right. <laughs> She's like, I'm sorry you got mad at me for that. Right. That's not an apology. <laughs> I'm sorry you thought what I did was wrong. No. Like, she, yeah. there's some, some sincere ones. Well, right. she presented this thing right here to me one day through tears and, and told, mm. began to tell me how I've had this influence. Mm. And, um, okay. I'm going to pull that back in. That ain't going to come out. And Mm. that was probably the most significant earthly feedback I've ever received. She gave you the coin. She came to me. Oh, wow. And told me the influence I've had in her. When Mm. I just thought I was the bad guy in the story Mm -hmm. for so many years. Right. So it was a significant thing for me. So I have to reciprocate and say that she's had the greatest influence for sure and continues to. Okay. Um, because it's really her opinion that matters the most to me. Right. And, and then outside of that, there have been several people who have been markers in the path that have said, you can go this way or this way and made it real clear for me. Mm -hmm. You know, one of those guys is Richard Ramos. Okay. He was the sales guy at gun infinity at that time. He was a, he was a sales manager and I talked to you about being the worst salesman ever. Yeah. And, um, he, he was hardcore back then, man. Mm. Like, uh, well, I can't say it on air, some of the things he said, but he was not happy with me or my performance uh. and really got in my face and pushed me to break past some significant fears I had about asking people for the business mm. and really broke it down, just broke me down so that he could build me back up. And yeah. that's where that gift came alive because it was just unlocked potential. So Richard unlocked that back then. And I'm proud to say he's actually in the voice of one coaching now. now He's he's one of the guys, you know, he's, then I think I met him. You probably did. I think he was sitting right next to me. That's exactly right. That's Richard. That's Richard. That's my original sales mentor who has now come back in and is working and serving through us. Well, Richard, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank Thank you you. if you're watching this, man. That's awesome. So that was a pivotal point in my career. But let me tell you the funny part about that is that he brought me his office shut the door and as wild as he was back then he said um he goes i believe that there's some type of a curse on your life or something man it Mm. needs to be broken off you need to go to your pastor and you need to pray because you have all this stuff but it's not showing up you need to Mm. ask the people at your church to pray for you to break something off of you that got on this something Mm. and so i went to my pastor in church and said hey this is what my sales manager said they prayed for me Something broke off and, and I emerged from, mm. from that. And then Richard trained me up in that, which was amazing. That's so awesome. he's had that significant influence. I know when Steve Hamilton came into my life and created that mm. opportunity at Syntex. And yeah. then now to this day, if I had to say modern day, it would it would be Craig Owen, you mm. know, because to have people you re- respect as a business person is different than having someone that you're connected with and respect man to man. Mm-hmm. That's really important to me. Yeah. And I have never met a guy with a bigger servant's heart than Craig. Mm. Never. Uh, I, I've never met anybody that like, uh, like the sacrifices he has made to pour into people's lives over the years that people mm. will never know about. I've been in the front row to see that. Mm. And he's invested in an incredible amount of confidence and faith in me and created opportunities, you know, cause he saw something there. Yeah. And, um, and so he's probably 
you know, one of the guys with the greatest influence to, you know, today. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up with this. So okay. we're in we're in Corona times. So yes. we, are, we are in the middle of pandemic uh, craziness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm reading John. So okay. you challenged me not too long ago. You actually yeah. I was in Fight Club. Yeah. About maybe four mm -hmm. or five weeks ago okay. when you talked about disc. Yes. And you said, hey, if you're a high eye, you need to read John. I yes. hope I did that right. You right? did. That's okay. right. Yeah. So I uh, just, I, I woke up uh, about, I don't know, a week and a half ago, and I've just been devouring John. I was mm -hmm. doing it back then, but I really started reading. Yeah. And I read this recently, and I thought, man, I want to read this with Steve. That's awesome. I'm because excited. I said, you know what? I said, Steve is going to talk to this uh, for people that may be having some fear right now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That that may be having some fear, and 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 there's some of that fear is quite, is is very warranted. We need to protect ourselves, sure. right? But I, I I thought about this because here this is Jesus, and he okay. says he says uh, um, in the John. Uh, 1633. By the way, this is the first time on the TM3 yeah. podcast. I'm reading the scripture, so I'm super I pumped love it. about this. I love it. Right? <laughs> he says, I have told you these things so that in in, in me, you may, you have, may peace. have peace. Right? In, in this, this world, you will, you will have, have trouble, tribulation. Or tribulations. Right? But, but take, take heart. heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. <laughs> yes. And I, I thought about when, when I read this scripture, I guess this was a couple of days ago and I knew we were going to interview and I knew we were yeah. going to chat. It, it made me think that at that time there was so much like that the, the disciples were just like, what is going on? Like he keeps talking about, he's mm -hmm. leaving, he's going. I just want you to speak to that for people that may sure. be just feeling like that. Okay. What? Like, yeah. you know, Hey, take heart. I'm you with know? you. I'm with you. And we just created uh, the the hashtag KWH 30 hard challenge, you know, the yeah. 30 day for the month of July, and it can start on any day. And the only thing we added to the challenge was addressing exactly what you're talking about right here, which I'm sure you don't even realize. I don't. We just started it yesterday. Yeah. So the first thing I want to do is break down the concept. And the concept is this, that people may have never heard before. Fear and faith are identical. Mm. And I know people would argue with me, but that's because I haven't broken that up. Fear and faith are identical in their structure mm -hmm. in this sense and by this definition. They are both an imagined future. Mm. Okay, Think yeah. about that for yep. just a second. That Fear and faith are identical in that they are both an imagined future. My fear imagines the worst yep. and my faith imagines the best mm -hmm. or the possibilities. My fear looks at limitations and my faith looks at possibilities. Mm. My fear looks at the negatives. My faith looks at the positives. So you might have someone say, well, just because you think that'll happen by faith, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I say, I know sugar pie, honey plum, but just because you think all the bad stuff's going to go down doesn't mean it's going to happen either. That's right. So if we don't have guarantee about either of those outcomes, and if you will believe that you have the ability to choose what you're going to think about because you do. Wouldn't you want to think about this instead mm. of that? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to step out in faith rather than fear? So the thing that we added to our 30 hard challenge, which is 30 days of a set of particular mm. habits or disciplines where no days off for 30 days, you do that. And the one we added this time was what we call our power statement, speaking your mm. power statement. And here's what it was to do. It was to address people's fear. We said, and Angela and I taught this and we have it on Facebook. We said, what you want to do is you want to really dig into what is your greatest fear during this time that you may not even be conscious of, but it's messing with you. That may be, what if I get sick or what if my family members get sick? Yeah. What if I lose my job or I lose my money? So let's just go with the, what if I get sick thing? Well, you need to go ahead and bring that scary thing out of the cave and put it in the light and mm. examine every part of that and say, okay, so, so. What if I get sick? What next? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then I go to the hospital. Well, what if all the beds are taken? Well, okay, then you wait in the hallway. Well, what if you can't breathe? Well, you know, then they realize, dude, we need to put him in an emergency or something like that. And then you mm -hmm. get, well, then what if my wife get? Well, then both of y'all in there. Well, what happens to my kids? Well, I guess your parents or somebody's going to watch them. Okay, well, what do I do then? And you just go there and you allow yourself to go through in the imagination and vision of your mind, the details of the things that you are most afraid of, because just in imagining and bringing them into the light, 
they lose a lot of their spooky lose their characteristics yeah. because you've gone, okay, so if that's my greatest fear, what if I get sick? Then we need to create a power statement that can be written on a three by five card. And what would diametrically oppose that and activate faith? If I get sick, I'm going to get better and things are going to be all right. Mm -hmm. So that's my power statement, my faith statement. Now, whenever this fear comes up, no, 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 no. If I get sick, I'm going to get better and everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Could you die? Yeah. But why am I thinking about dying? I could get better. If I can think about either of the two, why do I want to think about the dying thing? I'm going to think about the living thing, right? So I choose, but by the way, your fear is an imagined future. Your faith is an imagined future. So when I look at this, I take heart that in that scripture, Jesus is basically like, hey, if the worst thing happens to you down here, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, I've overcome all that stuff. Yeah. And by the way, this ain't your home anyway. You are, your life, your 70, 80, 90 years is a blip on the radar of eternity, man. Yeah. This is your dress rehearsal, you know, um, and because your home is eternal. And so let, let's not get too wrapped up in that stuff and miss the blessings that we do have available daily. That are right in front of us. Every single day. Yeah, man. I love that. Well, Steve, yeah. listen, I want to thank you for being on the Team Thanks, 3 brother. podcast, Team 3 Impact. Yeah. It's incredible to have you. you here on the show. And a lot yeah. of people, I think, are really going to take heart from this. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Tomas. We'll see you soon. Appreciate it being here, brother. Yes. Thank you, man. We'll see you. All right.